God, give us an openness today to your spirit. God, reveal to us the things that are in our hearts that need to be exposed, revealed to you. God, help us to learn from your word today. Help us to hear whatever you want us to hear, God. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to take it in in the deepest places. God, we just know that there are individuals today who are exactly what we just read there, that on the outside they may post one thing, but on the inside they may feel something else. And so God, push us toward authenticity today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. The Barner Research Group recently conducted its largest survey ever. They conducted a survey with 15,000 18 to 35-year-olds from 25 countries around the globe. They revealed an interesting and surprising reality. 57% of those surveyed said that they feel very connected to people around the world. And 77% said that the events of the world are very important to them. But on the other side, just one in three 18 through 35-year-old respondents tell Barna that they felt deeply cared for by those around them. Or that someone believes in them, only 32%. Many of them feel isolated and alone on their own. Now that's amazing because what this is saying is that they feel connected to those around the globe because of social media and because of the internet, but they feel very disconnected to those that they are closest to, those that should love them the most, those in their sphere of influence. We are so connected and so disconnected at the same time. That's why we see more loneliness more isolation, more desperation today, and also with it comes more anxiety or insecurity or even depression. And guys, I really believe that the church has the answer to this isolation dilemma. Josh and I went this week to a conference in, uh, in Nashville. It was more of a discipleship forum. About 1,800 uh, other leaders or uh, uh, Christians got together and said, how can we really kind of follow the command of Jesus to go make disciples? Because after all, wasn't that the heart of Jesus? When you think about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, one, one time Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the world? And, and he said, well, there's two really. And all of the law and all the prophets hang on these two commands. You know what they are, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's the other? Love your neighbor as yourself. He said all the other all the other commands hang on these two ideas, love, love God and love people. It's the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of Jesus to say, I want you to be in relationship with me and I want you to be in relationship with other people. Now, Todd Wilson is a really a nuclear engineer by training, but he became a follower of Jesus and he's one of the key leaders in a movement to evaluate where we are as a country regarding churches and what's actually happening in churches in America. And here's what's interesting. Around the world, Christianity is exploding in growth, exponentially so. We, we saw a leader there uh, named Shadanke from Sierra Leone. And he, because their system is simple, because they don't have a lot of the burdens uh, that we have in America regarding, you know, we have to pay for this facility and maintain this thing and all this, they just release leaders constantly. And because of that, they have gone into every city, every city now in their country, has, been, has, has heard the gospel of Christ and have individuals there that are making disciples. It is a very agile kind of New Testament system. And they do it because they love God and they love people. Simple as that. 
And Todd Wilson said, around the world the church is expanding, but in America the church is declining rapidly. Atheism is on the rise like we have never seen. In this upcoming generation, respondents will say that about 32% of, of this next generation that's coming up are now atheists or agnostic. We are down to about 62% of America that claim some type of Christian faith. That is a radical, radical change from the past. And what he's saying is that the American church will be deconstructing before it reconstructs. This kind of syrupy, sweet, cultural gospel, feel good, God is your cosmic genie, ready to grant you all your wishes kind of faith is just not working. And the next generation is just looking for something more, something real, something meaningful. And he said, there will be churches that emerge that elevate the gospel and the reality of King Jesus and who focus on making disciples through relationships. Now, if you all have been in the Axis Church world for any length of time, I certainly hope that sounds familiar to you. Because we have been in that lane for the last 10 years. And our mission is to revolve the world around Jesus one life at a time. And our strategy is that we would make disciples who make disciples in relational environments. That we would do what Jesus did. Love God, love people. And that's why we want to be connected in a disconnected world. And that's really why we're elevating this value in this series. We want to be connected in a disconnected world. And one of the best ways to be connected is just to be authentic, to be real. We are all imperfect. We all have our blind spots. Axis Church is not a place of perfect people. Just look at, just look at the person next to you right now. Just look at them. Just take a look at them. And then just tell them, you're not perfect. All right, tell them. It's okay. Some of you guys, you should, em, you should embrace this moment, all right? Some of you guys have been waiting to tell them that. Some of you guys, you, you were too reluctant already. You're like, I'm not, I'm not telling her that. No, no way, man, uh-uh. Well, there's a story that Jesus tells in Luke 18 where he describes two individuals, one who's authentic and one who is more, more kind of pious, more self-righteous. And he's telling this story to individuals that he say were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else. And he says to that crowd, he says there were two guys who go to church. One who walks into church, he puffs himself up. He finds a way to kind of build up his accolades. He begins to pray a prayer that is so bold, but it's not about God. It's all about him. God, I've done this, I've done this, I've given, I've, I've fasted, I've done everything that you've asked. And, and then another guy is there in church as well. And this individual is a tax collector. He's a sinner. People don't like this guy in general, mostly because of his job. But he's just not that, not that kind of guy that you'd want to follow. But when he comes in to worship that day, something convicts him and challenges him. He's so convicted he can't even look up into heaven. And, and he's there, and he just says before God, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the righteous, self-righteous guy looks at him and he says, God, at least I'm not like that guy. At least I'm not like him. And then at the end of the story, Jesus says that those who are humble will be exalted, and those who are exalted will be humbled. And what he's saying is that there is a right posture and a right attitude. There is this authentic realness about the one. One was authentic, one was judgmental. One was humble, one was self-righteous. And guys, if we're ever going to connect in a disconnected world, then we have to do so by removing the masks. The mask of like what this guy had. 
he had the mask of ego. It said that the individuals who were told this story were confident of their own righteousness. They looked down on everybody else. And the Pharisee did too. He said, I have it all together, he thought. He was pointing out the failures of other people, but he was totally unwilling or even unaware of his own failures. He elevated his status while condemning others. Anybody ever known anybody like that? You ever worked with anybody like that? You ever had one of those in your family? Better yet, do you ever show signs of that? Quick to condemn, but slow to say I'm sorry? Quick to react, but slow to listen? Quick to anger, but slow to compassion? I want to be clear here. He's not talking about those times when in love we speak the truth to somebody else that we love. That somebody has a blind spot in some way and you have a relationship and you're able to speak into each other's lives in a way to raise each other up. He's not talking about that. He's talking about kind of the judgmental attitude that this guy had. He's not talking about loving, loving confrontation. He's talking about this guy who's saying, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. It's ego. It's pride. And we all have that mask from time to time. I heard about one old fellow who was up in age and he was hard of hearing and he went to his doctor. He had some pain in his chest and he went to his doctor and his doctor gave him some advice. And so a few days later, this doctor saw this guy out in the park, and he was running with a beautiful young lady that was at least half his age. And the doctor said, what in the world are you doing? And the old fellow said, you said I needed to get one hot mama and be, be cheerful. And the doctor said, I did not say that. I told you you have a heart murmur. Be careful. We always hear what we want to hear, don't we? And pride causes us to walk around in our own world of what we believe is right and wrong, oblivious of the truth. We do just simply want to hear what we want to hear. We don't want to hear from anybody else. That's the mask of ego. This guy also had the mask of image. He stood up and prayed about himself. Why did he stand up? He wanted other people to look at him. He wanted to look impressive. He wanted people to look at him and kind of idolize him. We like to look, to look good to other people. We like to dress to impress, we like to have the right stuff, and we all get caught up in this at some time or another. Several years ago now, I was at a leadership gathering with other pastors and leaders, uh, many of which were, you know, really kind of um, excellent leaders, and, and the, the facilitators of this group put us into groups around, around the room, and they had us play an initiation game called Never Have I Ever. Anybody ever played that game before? It's kind of a stupid game, but anyway, so we're all standing there, and it's stupid because of this, because you're in the middle, and there's one guy in the middle, or one lady, and then everybody else is circled around. There's just enough chairs. So the person in the middle says, never have I ever, whatever they say, never have I ever skydived. Oh, and by the way, they always tell you at the beginning of the game, everybody has to be authentic. Can we all agree we're all going to be authentic? And everybody's like, yeah, okay, I'll tell the truth. Okay, good. So the person in the middle says something like, never have I ever scuba dived, and everybody in the room who has scuba dive before, gets up, and they switch chairs real quick, and then the person in the middle tries to find a seat, and if you're the one left standing, you're the next one up who has to say, never have I ever done whatever. And so at the beginning of the game, it starts very, like, surfacey. Never have I ever gone scuba diving. Never have I ever gone skydiving. Never have I ever whatever. And, and they go through this. But then the leaders, the facilitators, they'll get in the middle, and they'll say something like this. Never have I ever... Mm, smoked, or never have I ever thought lustfully about somebody, and never have I ever whatever. And so they'll talk about this stuff, and, and as we're going along, they might say something like, never have I ever been arrested, 
And throughout the game, I'm like, oh, crap. You know, I'm like, oh, I've done that, you know. I'm like, I haven't, you know, I've, 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 and, and, and what I found myself doing was I used this phrase. Yeah, guys, I did that once. You know, I kept saying, I've done that once. And, and I found myself having to justify the fact that I had ever. You know what I mean? And I don't know what it is about us that makes us go, why, why can't we just be willing to say, no excuses, it just is what it is. I made that decision. I own that decision. Pride causes us to walk around in our own world of what we believe is right and wrong. Pride causes us to try to look better than what we are. Matthew 23, verse 25 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. We hide behind the mask of self of, of, of image. Thirdly, we hide behind the mask of comparison. This guy looks at the other guy and goes, I thank you, God, that I am not like that guy. Adulterers, greedy, evildoers, and definitely not like the tax collector. How smug, how arrogant is this guy? We like to compare. Well, at least I'm not as bad as they are. If you're a Bengals fan, we've for years have always said, well, at least we aren't the Browns. Amen. And we can't even say that this year. We like to think about somebody worse than us. But do you know who this Pharisee compared himself to? It wasn't Moses, Abraham, Joseph, who he knew those stories. It was adulterers, tax collectors, and robbers. And that's what we tend to do. The self-righteous among us, that's what we do. We compare ourselves with people who are less. We compare ourselves with those who have done worse than we have. And we compare, we say, well, at least I'm not that guy. And we justify. I know it's not right to take this substance, but it's been a long day. I know that I'm being cold to my spouse, but they've been cold to me. I know I should be in worship on Sunday, but they won't miss me. And instead of comparing, we need to compare ourselves to who? Christ and Christ alone. The Bible says his, our righteousness on our best day, guys, our righteousness is like filthy rags before the righteousness of God. We need to look at ourselves. A few years ago, our kids were younger, and we came in from being outside, and we got in, then we got in the car. And uh, somebody's shoes were stinking. Somebody in the yard had stepped in dog poop and gotten in the car. And so I was like, hey, I smell, hey, guys, I smell something. Somebody has got dog poop on your shoe or something else is going on, and that's a bigger problem. But whatever. But there's dog poop in here, and we need to make sure that on your shoe you need to get that off. And, uh, and so I'm having everybody check their shoe. Everybody check your shoe, check your shoe. And, and, I mean, we're going around. Nobody's got it. Nobody's got it. And I'm like, guys, I'm starting to get frustrated. Somebody in this car has got dog poop on their shoe, and you need to make sure you check it. Until one of my little smart aleck kids said, Dad, check your shoes. Sure enough, I was the one who stepped in the dog poop. And we like to think that what we smell is everyone else. But when we look down, we realize it's us all along. Don't compare yourself with somebody else. And we hide behind the mask of religion. This guy said, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of what I get. And yeah, the Bible talks about fasting and talks about giving. And those are things we should do. But, but this guy was making a big deal out of it to make himself look good. He wanted to look religious. He wanted to look righteous. 
and, and, and he wanted to impress people. But guys, God has never been impressed by our religion. He doesn't care when you try to do something good on the outside, but your heart isn't in it. Philippians 3.9 says, I do not have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. No matter how good you try to be, if you don't have an authentic relationship with God, you've missed what matters most. And no matter how righteous you are, you will never keep the law perfectly. If you could have, we didn't need Jesus. But Jesus comes in and says, I want you to be authentic. I want you to have the right kind of attitude, the right kind of heart. Remove the mask. That's why we're so impressed with this, with this tax collector who comes into worship. And he doesn't seek to compare or impress. The Bible says he stood at a distance. He was broken. Ken Blanchard, the, le the leadership author, tells about how Bob Buford led him to Christ. Bob one time said, Ken, on a scale from 1 to 100, how do you think you are in terms of goodness? And Ken goes, I, I don't know. I think, I'm, I think I'm pretty good. Maybe like a 75. I, I don't know. He said, all right, well, let's do it this way. On a scale from 1 to 100, how do you think uh, Billy Graham is? And he goes, oh, Bill, Billy's a pretty good guy. I, I mean, I'm put, let's put him at like a solid 90. He's like an A, you know, I would think. And, and, and Bob Buford goes, all right, well, what about Mother Teresa? So I don't, I don't know, but I mean, she's, she seems to be even like a little bit better. Maybe, maybe let's put her like a 93 or something like that. And he's like, all right. Now, in comparison to that, Bob, uh, Ken, where are you? And he goes, I don't, I don't know. Compared to those guys, maybe I'm like a 65. And, and, and Bob brings it home by saying, Ken, no matter where you are, whether you're Billy Graham or Mother Teresa, they're still not going to reach that 100 because no one is righteous, not even one. And, and wherever you are on that scale, and guys, wherever you are on that scale, Jesus makes up the difference between, between where you are and 100. The Bible says his righteousness is our righteousness. It becomes our righteousness. That our righteousness is never going to be good enough. It's, it takes us, we are, it seems like we cannot get there and we can't on our own. And, and so what we do is we say we rely on you, Christ. We fall short of 100. All of us fall short of 100. And one day we're going to stand before God. And if we don't realize it now, we're going to realize it then. That in comparison with our King Jesus, we fall way short of 100. But he makes up the difference for us. Authenticity does not seek to compare or impress. Authenticity also stands humble before God. The Bible says he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast. Talk about humility. You ever been there? Ever been to the place of brokenness? What did it take to get there? Usually when you hit rock bottom is when it happens. When you realize there's no other way. When you realize you can't depend on anybody else. You see, we don't change, we see the light, we change, we feel the heat. And this individual, he, he stood humble before God. He would not even look up into heaven. That's how humble he was before the Lord. Authenticity stands humble before God. Authenticity also comes clean. He just prays to God, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Guys, listen, the devil loves the power of secrecy. Most crimes are committed at night. Most stuff we do wrong is over the cover of darkness. Isaiah writes in 29.15, Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who their work in darkness, and who, and who think, who sees us, who will know. Job 34 verse 21 said, His eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. There is no dark place, no deep shadow where evildoers can hide. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? 
When they sinned against God, what did they do? They hid. God found them. What are you doing? Are you hiding? Like a kid caught in a candy jar, they were like, um, uh, no? Yes? When a game will hide and seek with God, is not a game that you can win. And to break the power of, of the devil over secrecy, we have the weapon of confession. We're open with one another. And one of the things I've realized is that when you are open with other people, talking about community and connection, it allows them to be open with you. This week we were at uh, the conference, and one of, one of kind of really our mentors, I guess, his name's Jim Putman, leads a ministry called Real Life Ministries in Idaho, and I've spoken about him a few times before, but he was really key in our philosophy of who we are and kind of processing what relational discipleship means, and he has a pretty large following in this, but he's always been very concerned in, about us and about us as leaders, about our church, and, and in fact, he wrote the foreword for our book for us, and so I was communicating with Jim, and Jim just has this way of kind of being a sergeant at arms, kind of like a a captain of the ship, I mean, on the stage, he'll, he'll like condemn you and like, like, hey, you guys need to do better. And everybody's like, yeah, we need to do better. And, uh, but he, uh, but in, in a personal way, he has this way of just reaching deep inside. And, and so I was just talking to him like, hey, Jim, um, he's like, hey, how's it going, Stephen? Well, tell me about what's going on at Axis and tell me how you're doing. And I'm like, well, I, actually, I think we're kind of coming out of a season. You know, I feel like really for Axis, I mean, we're, we, we really just need to appreciate kind of where God is taking us, that Let's not compare it to anybody else. We're, we're a very agile kind of ministry that has the right heart and focus and building disciples. And while we're not completely there, we, we're heading down that direction. I feel good about that. And, and he goes, okay. And then he probes a little bit further. And then he says, well, you know what, for me. And then he begins to describe this season for him in ministry. And he starts to kind of break it down below the surface. And I say, and I, I, I go, yeah, actually, the truth is <laughs> that <laughs> this summer's been kind of tough, and here's why. And in fact, Jim, I, I mean, I really feel like that this summer I, I kind of had like what I would call a mild form of depression, and I didn't know that at the time. But I didn't really want to be around people, and I, I didn't. I was tired, and I was easily aggravated, and there were several other things. In fact, I googled it, and like nine out of ten of the things on the scale, I, I checked them all off, and I'm like. So I feel like that was going on, and he goes to me, he goes, and this is not something he wouldn't be able to share with people. He goes, yeah, me too. In fact, so much so, my, you know, when my kid was going all through all his stuff with drugs, which was very public, he goes, and I, 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 I had to go be medicated for it. I tried to get off for a while, and the truth is that I had to get back on, I mean, because it was just rough. And, and, and in that moment, there's just like this connectedness, you know, where you realize, hey, we're in this together. Hey, hey it's, it's, it's not just you, it's me. And when you set that kind of a model for your people, when there's an authenticity, what happens is people begin to, to open up as well. And when you realize Axis Church is not built with a bunch of, like, perfect people, we're all imperfect people. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just. He'll forgive us from all our unrighteousness. But James says that therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why is it that we have to make ourselves look a certain way? Why are we so worried about image consciousness? Why are we so unwilling to be broken? Uh, last night we celebrated my brother Mark's 60th birthday. That's right, 60, 6-0. I mean, he's up there, man. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and we, we began, it's supposed to be like a little bit of a roast, but then it kind of changed because then it wasn't really a roast because we couldn't think of much to roast him about. And, and, um, and so it's me, it's Jonathan, it's my mom, and it's Mark. And we're up there and, and we're telling stories about Mark over the years. And, 
And uh, Mark is tenderhearted. He's a lot like my grandfather. When he would preach, he would cry almost every time he preached. And, and Jonathan, if you've ever heard Jonathan speak, he, he, he can like, man, he has the power of the pregnant pause. You know what I'm saying? Like he'll just start talking and then he'll pause. And everybody in the room is like, oh, my goodness, you know, like what is happening, you know. And he did that last night. You know, he's talking about Mark, and he's like, Mark, I don't have anything to, like, roast you about, but I've admired you, and, and, I, and I wish Sherry was here, and here's what I admired about you, and he starts to talk, and then the pregnant pause comes, and now he's getting ready to cry, and Mark's here, and everybody's wiping their eyes, I'm like, this is, and, and, and Mark's tenderhearted, and he's a little bit tearful, you know, and I do have that sometimes, granted, but I'm like, I'm like the king of the one-liners, you know, I'm like the king of the, let's break the tension, you know what I'm saying? And so after all these other guys spoke, I like came back, I was like, I'm not sure if this is your 60th birthday party or we're, we're eulogizing you right now, because it sure seems like we're giving all this stuff, like you're, you're gone. Anyway, it wasn't that funny last night either, but anyway, so <laughs> I tried, I tried. Well, uh, a few months ago, um, you know, before when uh, Sherry was at the end of her life, and those of you who were in first service uh, a few months ago, um, I, I, for whatever reason, just grief just overtook me. I, I did not expect it. I did not plan for that. And I literally, you know when somebody announces something at the door, like let's say two military people come to the door and somebody tells them bad news and the person collapses? I'd never, ever, 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 ever experienced anything like that before. And, and that literally happened while I'm speaking. And I, like, start to talk about what she's experiencing and talk about planning her funeral, et cetera, and I just collapsed. Now, in that moment, my emotions were all over the board because this is not something that I usually do. And, 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 and also, I, I kind of, um, you know, I, 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 as, even as I'm in that moment, laying, I'm laying there, and I'm frustrated. I'm, there, I'm, almost, I'm in a battle within myself, like, how could you let that happen? Like, what just happened? I don't understand what just happened. And. And in the quietness of that moment, people from our church just started to kind of, they knew it wasn't a medical emergency. They just started to quietly get out of their seats, and they just gathered around me and started to pray out loud for me that moment. And one of the reasons I was frustrated, because in my mind, I was like, this is not about me. This is about how Sherry's going to feel this way. This is about all these things going on. And then um, Mike actually uh, wrote me after that. And by the way, the sermon that day was on Jesus wept, and uh and, and Mike just kind of real gently wrote me, hey, listen, if, if, wh why do you feel bad? If Jesus could weep, why can't we? And, and, and I think what I'm saying is, I, I think that all of us, what is it about us that wants to kind of, kind of protect that? I don't know. You know. What is it about us that kind of stays more private than that? What is it about us that, that wants to resist those things? Because I'm just telling you that some of the closest moments to God that you will have is those, are those moments of brokenness. Some of those closest moments with other people will be those moments of realness that you have with each other. Some of the closest moments with my children have been in those moments where I've admitted struggle or failure. Uh, years ago, I got impatient with my girls, and this is when they had the same bedroom and had bunk beds. And bedtime was the worst back then, and, and, and uh, I would get so frustrated and and, and I lost it with them, and I hurt their feelings, and I realized, and I walked back to their bunk beds, and I held their hands, and I, I admitted that what I did was not right. And I hugged both of them, and I asked them for forgiveness. And I said, Becca, you forgive me, don't you? And she said, of course I forgive you, Daddy. Well, I've been in that situation before many times. 
that time of failure, that time of struggle, those times we're admitting, but what happens is in those moments there is a closeness. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This tax collector cries out to God in brokenness, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. And that's what got God's attention. The Pharisee stands up and says, look at me, look how good I am. And that did not get God's attention at all, or at least not in a positive way. Jesus would rather have someone be like that tax collector than be like that Pharisee because the humble will be exalted and the, and the exalted will be humbled. So when we repent with sincerity, God takes notice because none of us are perfect. Now I want to ask Hannah to come up and, and, and play, and as she does, I'm going to read this story to you and then, then I'm going to pray for you, okay? It, it, it's a story that I came across, a real story about a guy who just needed love. By age 16, Nikki Cruz was the leader of the toughest gang in New York City, known as the Mau Maus, named after a bloodthirsty African tribe. His Satanist parents abused him brutally, and so he became a hardened man, void of love and full of hate. He writes, I wanted to do to others what my mother did to me. I used to feel good when I hurt people, but privately he didn't feel good. Privately, he says, when I was alone, loneliness became like a seductive woman that crawled inside my chest and, and ate me. I was there twisting and fighting. I felt so lost. He said only two people, only two people felt the desperate condition or knew of the desperate condition of Nikki's heart, this gang leader. One was his psychologist who said, told him five times, there's a dark side in your life. Nobody can penetrate, Nikki. You're walking straight to jail, the electric chair, or to hell. There is no hope. The other was a pastor named Dave Wilkerson. He, he, he risked his life to tell Nikki about the gospel and that there was hope. And Nikki said, I heard this voice. God has the power to change your life, Nikki. I started to curse out loud to this pastor. I spit in his face. I hit him. I told him, I don't believe in what you say. Get out of here. Nikki never expected what he heard David Wilkerson say. The next thing he said, the pastor said, Nikki, you can cut me up in a, a thousand pieces and lay them in the street, but every piece will still love you. And Nikki said that phrase did damage to him good damage in his brain and in his heart. He began to question for two weeks. He said, I could not sleep thinking about love. And Nikki and his gang showed up at Wilkerson's rally, and one by one they gave their lives to Christ. He said it was the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross, that grabbed him. He was choked, he said, with pain. And my eyes were fighting, and tears became, began to come down, and more tears, and I was fighting, and then I surrendered, said Nikki. And I let Jesus hug me, and I let, I let my head rest on his chest, and I said, I'm sorry, forgive me. And for the first time in my life, I told somebody, I love you. The love Nikki got in return radically changed his life. He went on now for the next four decades to share the message of Christ's love with those who desperately need it. And he, he wrote a book called Run, Baby, Run, and Nikki has run with the story of God's grace in his life ever since. And guys, I'm just telling you, Axis Church, it's time to run. We, are, we, we have a message that people need to hear. Love God, love people. We are not perfect. We are far from it. But authentically, as we come before God and other people, God's going to do something great with us. God's going to do something miraculous with us. If you just become authentic with him. 
and spend time. That's why we have groups here. Because in this setting, it's hard to break that down. But in group life, community group life, as you're discipling other people, as you're being discipled, what happens is you're authentic with each other, and God does something in your heart. He changes you, transforms you. He makes you more like Christ one moment at a time, one realness, one real story at a time. Now, what I'm going to do now as Hannah plays is I'm going to read Psalm 51. And I want this to be kind of our concluding message today for what God wants to say to you. Just listen to these words. David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inmost part. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. God, give us that kind of heart. Give us the kind of heart that comes to you in openness and brokenness. God, allow us to come before you. And that through that authenticity, God, allow us to connect. Connect to people. Connect to those who love you. Connect to others. And God, help us to do it authentically, to connect in a very, very disconnected world. And through that, help the world know that we are, that we're Christians. Because we love one another. And we love you. We pray for this in Jesus' name.